Hello and welcome to Connected episode 249. It's made possible this week by our sponsors, KiwiCo, Squarespace, and Pingdom. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined by Mike Hurley. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you for filling in for me last week. I was in Romania and had no stable Wi-Fi connection. Well, David Sparks filled in for you. you I, I, I was me, like I normally am. So thank David. Always be yourself, Stephen. Never change. And we are also joined by Federico Vitici. Hello, everybody. How are you, Stephen? I'm good. We're all together, mm-hmm. at least for this week. And uh, we have some follow-up to talk about. You don't. I do. You can tell Mike's back because this is all of his follow-up. It's all my follow-up. My gift for missing last week is I've provided the entire follow-up section single-handedly, and I'm now going to deliver it all to you. Okay, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Bluetooth controllers for the Apple TV. This is part of my persona as the Apple TV expert. So uh, we we heard... It's not a persona. You are the Apple TV expert. Uh, yes, sorry. My, my, my life as yes. the Apple TV expert, the tvOS expert. We found out from lots of people over the last couple of weeks the reason why Apple called out very specifically the Xbox One S controller on stage. And it's because, for some really weird reason, uh, the original Xbox One and the original Xbox Elite controller are not Bluetooth. I don't know why Microsoft decided to do this, but they used a technology that wasn't Bluetooth. And it's the Xbox One S and later, including the Xbox One X and the Xbox Elite Controller 2, which is not out yet, but it's coming out soon, they all have Bluetooth. So that's why, and we can now close the case. So the case is now closed on why Apple said Xbox One S controller. Yeah. You know, if Apple had been more clear about this, you could have had a K-based case to close. I'm going to ignore this Close comment, and I'm going, I'm going to say that I bought a DualShock. So I have an Xbox One X controller that um, works <laughs> with the iPad Pro. I mm-hmm. played around with... Um, I was playing Oddmar, which is a very nice-looking platform game on iPad. I don't love the Xbox controller. Um, I still... I, I prefer the... I just prefer the DualShock. So I... Uh, you know me... Um, I could have used the DualShock that I already have for the PS4 Pro, but who wants to pair and unpair a controller every single time you want to switch between the PlayStation and the iPad Pro? So I bought a DualShock 4 just for the iPad Pro. Mm. A, uh, mm. a, white, I... yeah, a white one, which looks really nice. I go backwards and forwards on the DualShock compared to the Xbox controller. Mm. I really like the way the Elite controller feels. It is yes. very comfortable to hold. Yes, but it's a little too heavy. It is heavy. Yeah, I'll give you that. It's a lot of, it lot of metal a lot of stuff inside. In there. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very serious controller, but for the price they charge, it should be. It's like one hundred and fifty dollars or something. Yeah, and I feel bad because like every time I'm playing with that controller, and at this point, I'm fully aware of the fact that we've lost Steven completely. Mm-hmm. But every time totally I fun. play with that controller, <laughs> I feel bad that I'm not as pro as the controller is. I, I feel like I'm not a good enough gamer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any so Steven, this controller allows you to. To physically change the way that it operates like it has these latches in it to change the triggers to only need to be fired like you know so you know like on a on a on a game controller you pull down the trigger on the back right like on the the, like right. the back left you can sure. pull them down halfway oh, so that's it's called nice. like a hair trigger but that's yeah. for like if you're really good at first person shooters and mm-hmm. the literal time that it takes to pull the trigger all the way down <laughs> makes a difference you would get killed yeah, I am not, not even nearly at that <laughs> it level. As yeah, it a doesn't gamer. matter, right? <laughs> no, but but I have found that for like 
for RSI stuff, that controller has been really good for me because I can do things like that, right? So like the the amount of pressure that I need to exert on the controller is way less. So I have found that controller to be very comfortable. You can also remove the um, analog sticks and replace them with different analog sticks. Like it's it's like a whole big thing. I've the Xbox that. Elite controller is wild. Why did you do that? Uh, because it felt very fancy to do. Ah, uh, okay. I like to take all the, all of these pieces are held on by magnets as well. Yes, which is kind of fancy, and I like to just take them off and 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 put them back on again. But you can change the height of the stick. It's all it's all it's all very obscene, really. Yeah, but uh, sure. It's a very nice controller. I can see why why people yeah. are into that. Yeah, it's like it's like when you when you're on a very fancy flight, and I, I and when I am, I always like to order everything available. And so, like with the Xbox controller, I'm like I'm drunk on sticks. I have all these sticks and all these <laughs> buttons that I can customize. Like, yes, give me all the sticks and all the things that I can change, and I will change them. And I've done that. And it comes with like a braided cable and like a hard case, like a and all that. Kind yes. Of stuff. So I've changed everything, and now I'm, I'm not sure if i'm if i know how to put it back together like there was an original configuration when i took it out of the box but who knows what it is now so it you know (laughs) the sticks have been changed and and it's very heavy uh it's very metal there's a lot of metal parts uh which uh it's probably not good for the for the weight but uh, it's it's super super fancy when you look at it but the current one you cannot use with the apple tv or the ipad pro but there is a second version coming out some point this year which you will be able to because it's going to have bluetooth yeah all right uh i have more tvos related stuff for you obviously of course you are you are the tvos expert so so age do you remember last time i was talking about how control center will be nice because it will give us a quick way to change audio output yes turns out there is a shortcut um, Adrian wrote in to let me know, and Adrian was very disappointed because I was the TVOS expert and didn't know this, as is right. Everyone should be disappointed. Uh, you can change the sound output by long pressing the play button, but only on the home screen, which seems kind of silly. So, yeah, you c- Only on the home screen? Only on the home screen, so not inside of any apps. I'm pretty sure that... I'm pretty sure that I do it everywhere. No, you can do the pull down from the top and change it, but it only to to press and hold down the play button only works on the home screen. I don't think it does work only on the home screen. I think it works everywhere. The long press the play button. I have tried it in a multi, in in a couple of different applications and it didn't work. I'm clearly not a good enough expert. Well, you are a newly minted expert, so that's true. I'm still getting my wings. I have more stuff for you that might be a little bit more expert. Okay. Uh, picturing picture is coming to TVOS 13. Okay, so how do, how does it work? You'll be able to watch video while you're browsing the Apple TV. I, you know, it's okay. Like, well, I, I'm not I'm I, I'm not convinced that this feature is as useful on the Apple TV as it is on the iPad, but mm. it's possible to do if you want to do it. Just think how how great it will be. You can open all of your shopping apps on your Apple TV and uh, yeah, well, scroll through virtual racks of clothing while streaming video in picture in picture. No, but okay. But maybe on a more serious note, um, maybe you could do, like if Google supports it, well, you know, LOL, maybe in a couple of years, but in theory, you could do things like open a YouTube video, put it in picture in picture, and then continue browsing YouTube to, I don't know, browse other channels and other stuff. Or things like, for example, something, the, literally the only app that I use on my Apple TV that is not video related is um, HomeCam which allows me to check on, on my HomeKit cameras. 
it's got like a grid of real-time video feeds from my HomeKit cameras. So in theory, I could I should be able to, I don't know, if I want to check on whatever is going on on the balcony or what the dogs are doing in the other room, I should be able to like, while I'm watching the office, um, enable picture-in-picture, picture, quickly check on my cameras and while the video is still playing. So, so what I don't know, I haven't been able to confirm this, uh, is if you can watch multiple video streams at once. Mm. Now, that would be the only real good use, right? <laughs> that you could be have something playing and you could watch another video, uh, but I've not been able to confirm if that's the case. Like, that doesn't work on iOS, right? You can't have a video playing yep. and then watch another video. So I'm expecting it's probably the same. Because one, you know, like one good use for picture-in-picture picture is sports, right? So like mm-hmm. there's multiple oh, sport, yeah, sporting sports. events happening at the same time, right? And you can watch multiple things. I've not been able to confirm if it works uh, with one video or another. Maybe people can let me know. Uh, I'm not running the TVOS beta on my what? Apple TV. I know. Wow. Uh, well, you're, not, you're a sham of an expert. I know. TVOS 13 is also bringing something called wireless audio sync. Um, so if you're using multiple devices with AirPlay, you can use an iOS device to test and correct audio latency. That's cool. For multiple device setups. It is actually pretty cool. And they have an interesting UI, which I'll put a link in the show notes, to a tweet uh, from Steve Moser. Um, and uh, it, it, they, they show a bunch of the setup stuff for that. Like it plays tones and then it's measured like from the TV to the iOS device and then it calibrates it. See, this is the kind of info that you would only get from a TVOS expert. So. Exactly. Me, not Steve Moser. No. Or, or if you follow Steve Moser on Twitter. No, don't, don't follow Steve Moser. Follow, you would have follow it Mike Hurley. He tweets just for me. Like, and then... <laughs> for, I mean, we love you, Steve. But, I mean, we, we have Mike Hurley here. Uh, so, you know. Yeah, you, you know. Come on. You don't, need, you don't need any more than that, surely. Come on. Let's be real. All right. Change, change, change hats. And now you are the folding phone expert. Um, so what, what is going on in the folding phone scene i have an important set of updates for folding phones i just feel like nobody else is going to give you this information so i'm going to do it whether you want it or not huawei have postponed the launch of the mate x um it was supposed to be coming out this month and it's been moved to september um a huawei representative has said that they are wanting to work on improving the screen quality of the device huawei are not saying it has anything to do with the crazy situation that they're in right now in the fact that like they won't be able to use android anymore possibly but i think it probably is a little bit to do with that (laughs) um it may also be something to do with improving the screen technology but i think that the timing of this delay would indicate that maybe they're also hoping they can try and sort out their situation with Google um, and or the American government before they try and put this incredibly expensive phone on sale because you'd be a fool to buy it, I think, at this point, to spend that money on a phone that may never receive a software update. And Huawei are making a bunch of claims right now about the updates that they will be able to apply that seem tricky to follow. Um, based upon the facts that everybody else is giving. So they have delayed their phone. So they're not going to be beating yet Samsung to market, which we thought they would. Apparently, the Samsung Galaxy Fold is, quote, ready to hit the market. A vice president for Samsung's display division said this during a speech 
in a different place that had nothing to do with the galaxy what kind fold. Of speech like a wedding speech? he was like at a dinner or something <laughs> and, and says most of the display problems have been ironed out and the fold is ready to hit the market i don't like that sentence by the way i want to read that again for you most of the display problems have been ironed out the fold is ready to hit the market wait a second <laughs> at, at a dinner speech Right, <laughs> no, but like, shouldn't you fix all of them well, before you put it them. out? Like, why just most of them? <laughs> like, let's fix them all fine. first. It's fine, and then we can work it well, out. Right, most of them are fixed. Um, this does is in contrast to some other comments from Samsung from, and this was a report from The Verge, where there was a rumor that it was going to be coming out in July, and Samsung were basically like, "Well, if it was, you would have expected we'd have had an event by now, <laughs> and we're not having one." which is basically a kind of way to say, no, it's not, um, which is now leading people to believe that this phone may debut alongside the Galaxy Note, uh, because if they are ready, if they are getting ready to ship this thing, they will be having another event in August or September, and they'll have the Galaxy Note coming out. But that's whether uh, Samsung will want to put both of these two phones on sale at the same time. Samsung and not given up yet. They're going to release a phone this event. The old one caught fire. And the other phone they're going to announce used to break after two days of use. To be fair, it was two versions of the Note ago that caught fire. But yes, in, in sure. previous instances, yes, this phone has caught fire. And then the next one uh, was a just complete failure. Mm-hmm. So th- this is going to be a really interesting event, <laughs> I expect. So that is your folding phone update. Thank you. I'm still going to buy the Samsung Galaxy Fold, FYI. Like, if it comes out, I'm still buying it because I really want it. Yeah, Can't help it. I think we need to do an intervention here. Steven. I am who I am. Okay. Sh- sure. <laughs> yeah. Sh- Never change, Mike. Never change. One uh, last quick bit of follow up, more of a reminder of something coming in the future. So it's like a it's like a follow forward. We are having our live show in San Francisco on August twenty second to mark Relay FM's fifth birthday. Mike and I will be there along with a bunch of Relay FM hosts for like this sort of extravaganza thing we are planning. Uh, there's still some tickets left, so there's a link in the show notes to go check those out. And uh, I would say that there is no place on earth too far to travel from for this event. It's a bold claim, but... The problem is if you say, well, oh, well, this place is too far, then like, you know, you've put a line in the sand and there's no lines in the sand when it comes to great podcast content. That's true, actually. Mm-hmm. It's it's the company motto, actually. It's, <laughs> it's not. It's not the company motto. Okay, this episode of Connected is brought to you by KiwiCo. If you have kids, you know how great it is when you find something uh, to do with them that's educational and fun. If you're like me and your kids are on summer break, you're really feeling that right about now. But coming up with ideas and planning projects can take a lot of time, a lot of uh knowledge of crafts that I, for one, just don't have. And if you're a parent, you're already very busy. And individually researching each creative project, finding ways for them to be educational and fun just isn't practical. But you still want your kids to have fun with the creative stuff to do. And that's where KiwiCo comes in. They have a selection of hands-on projects for kids of all ages. And uh, here's how it works. You sign up for a KiwiCo subscription, and every month you'll receive a crate full of exciting projects. And the crates come with everything you need. There's no last-minute run out to the craft store to pick up glue or popsicle sticks or something. Everything you need is there ready to go. And there are hundreds 
of hands-on projects available covering our favorites, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. So you know your kids are learning when they get creative. It doesn't matter how old your kids are. They have crates for all ages, and you can pause or cancel your plan at any time. We did a KiwiCo crate with our youngest, who is four, learning about the water cycle, about rainbows, got to put together uh, this rainbow pillow that he carried around for a long time, and now it's at the foot of his bed. And it was great knowing that everything we needed was right there. It's it's rough to get into the flow of something and then have to stop and go hunt down uh, some random piece of fabric or something, but everything was ready to go for us. Change the way your kid plays with KiwiCo. Visit kiwico.com slash connected and get your first crate free. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash connected for your first crate for free. Give it a try, grab that free crate, and see what your kids think. That URL one more time, kiwico.com slash connected. Our thanks to KiwiCo for their support of Connected and all of Relay FM. So on last week's show, you both spoke about this rumor of a smaller, it's difficult to say smaller phone, smaller iPhone. It is, what, like the, an iPhone 10 with the screen size of an iPhone 6, which would therefore make it a physically smaller phone in a bunch of ways because they would most likely shrink the body down, right? Which mm-hmm. is uh, 5.4 inches, I should say. So it's, it's, it's a little bit different in size, right? It's like 4.7 inches was the iPhone 6, but a 5.4-inch iPhone 10 style phone would probably be quite small, right? Because yeah. you go, yeah. So, so let's just assume small, smaller phone, effectively. So you was talking about that, and then uh, underscore David Smith wrote a quick blog post. Um, the developer of Pedometer Plus Plus, right, has a, a large user base. And underscore found out that nearly 50% of the devices used to run his application were the iPhone 6 size 4.7 inch screen, which is an interesting statistic. I'm not 100% sure what to draw from it. Um, Dave kind of draws the conclusion that, like, maybe people just really like that size. Well, which I'm sure they do. Yeah, I mean, if you if you still have that phone, you I guess you like that phone in the sense that you right. that you like any object that you own that you need to pay for again. Like I just like I would like to talk about like do they like it on like on on a deep like sentimental level in the context of oh I'm never ever going to switch to a bigger iPhone because I really like this one or is it more like well this this phone this iPhone 7 like or 6s already works why should I buy a new one so it's not like it's not like a, a, a fundamental intentional decision it's just you know it's an old phone and it still works whatever more like you know it's not like they they yeah. love it they just accept it for what it is and eventually they're going to move on i don't know there, there were a lot of years of that size right so you got the iphone 6 the 6s the 7 and the 8 mhm they were all that size right so that's many years i think it's also worth noting and i'm not we're, we're not making an argument against small phones here but just like a, as like a counterpoint the other thing worth remembering is like that was the peak in iphone sales yeah so yeah, like there are a lot of those because that was when the iPhone sales really went through the roof, right? It was like mm-hmm. the six, and it was during this time frame that the prices crept up and up and up, and so people who have 
a 6S or a 7 to replace that phone is now going to cost them more than it would mm-hmm. have. And so you know, they're holding on to it longer. There's a lot of them out there. This is a multi-factor f- uh, deal here. It's not as simple as, you know, which is one reason, I don't think. So, like, I have no doubt that people like the phone at that size and, and don't mm-hmm. want a bigger phone. Like, I totally get it. Because if they did want, if everybody just wanted bigger phones, you would see more of the plus phones in David's statistics, which is not the case, right? Like, th- there are still a lot of those, but it's not as high as the mm-hmm. the, the, the regular size ones. But I, I think that there is a lot at play here. I am genuinely, like... I think it is a great idea to make a smaller phone. I think it, it there is something super weird about people that are currently using the iPhone XS mm-hmm. and will go to the iPhone 11, that the iPhone 12, it probably won't be called the 11S, right, if it's in 2020, because it will be like a new screen size. So I can't imagine that they would keep it as S. But anyway, we, can, that's, we have multiple years to work that one out. <laughs> that I would be surprised. I, it's interesting to me that people would just be like, oh, okay, so my phone's smaller. That seems strange to me, right? Yeah. That Like if you're on that size, that's the size you want. You want the newest, latest, and greatest phone, so you don't want to go to the R, that now your phone will just be a smaller phone, like in screen size and physical size. I don't see them doing that. I mean, I think they will they would split the product line again. Is that what you think? They, it, because that's not... I mean, like Minchi Quo seems to kind of like hint that it's three phones you think there'll be four i mean if you're talking like two cycles down i mean if if a small phone is going to make a comeback i think that's the only way they do it i don't think Mm. they take the what is now the mainline phone and make that smaller i just that would be weird so who knows like you said we have years to to figure that out uh what one thing that i'm looking at this chart that uh david did and I've, I found it really interesting that and out of his user base, the iPhone XS is 3%, but the iPhone 5S, which is old, is 4%. Like there's, he does not have a lot of brand new phones in this chart. Now, part of it is that's they've only been on the market for, what is it, six months now. And they uh, also sell less. They sell, they sell less of them. And, uh, you know, you get the iPhone X at 9%, that, that, phone was only on the market for one year remember the 10 went away when the 10s and 10r came out and i think the 10 was a was a, a we, we don't know because they don't sell unit share unit numbers anymore but i think the 10 was maybe a high point again relatively speaking and the 10s and 10s max and 10r are well below that this is just looking at a subset of the app store of course but it's a pretty interesting relationship between all these phones and one that i didn't anticipate i figured oh i'll find the 10s it'll be one of these big chunks and it just isn't no i think one of the reasons that makes david's data worth sharing and talking about is because pedometer plus plus seems to be such a mainstream application Mm -hmm. right that like he has especially compared to most of the people that are kind of like in our community like he probably has one of the most diverse groups of people, like of customers. I mean, like he says one thing. I mean, this is probably going to be a problem for him. iOS 13 is going to going to kill 17% of his user base because he'll lose the 5S, the 6, and the 6 Plus. Yeah. 
the phones slowly evaporate out of their cases the night iOS 13 comes out. It's like the it, it underscore just snaps his thing, fingers and all those phones just disappear. Well, I think I think Craig Federighi snapped his finger. Is actually how that works. <laughs> yeah, Pedometer Plus Plus is the only app out of all of our friends, out of all the people I know who make iPhone apps. There, that is the only app I've seen on like a random family member's home screen. Like, mm. no offense to Overcast or Peacock or anybody else. I've never seen those out like on like my cousin's wife's phone or something at Thanksgiving. It's like, oh, mm. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to be that guy. I was like, oh, look at that. Like, you got a little underscore with you. I think that's kind of interesting. I've never seen never funny? seen any app from any of my friends on any Italian phone, which is very sad. Um, it's like my friends don't exist for these other people wow. here in Italy. Yeah. It's like a parallel universe, basically. Uh <laughs> I'm kind of ashamed of the apps that my mom uses, honestly. Um, I try to pretend, you know, she's not the mother of the person who runs Mac Stories. She has terrible taste in apps, you know. Yeah. 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 And sometimes... What does she know, you know? Sometimes, like, she calls me and she's like, hey, I do you think this app is fine? I'm like, what's this app? She's like, I, I saw it in, in a TV commercial and it's always some kind of shopping app. Or some kind of, I don't know, she just, she's got terrible tasting apps. She should read Mac stories more <laughs> without the Google Translator. Oh my uh, God, the bees, the bees are everywhere. Also like another piece of follow-up to what you guys were talking about last time about like get, like creating the, a perfect iPhone. I don't, Stephen, I think it was you who said like Apple needs to do something to improve the selfie camera. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just poking around now and you know, it's probably not, I mean, I know it's not the exact same camera, but like the iPhone XS has a 7 megapixel camera and so did the iphone 7 oh man i mean but the, but at the same time the 7 also says as a 12 megapixel back camera but i don't expect a lot has actually changed in those selfie cameras between Mm-mm. then and now I, I i agree that i would love to see that change i would love to see them do more i, w- I what i would like to see is the two like uh, one wide angle one regular uh, on the front and then like the three cameras on the back I think that's uh, part of that is going to come true. <laughs> yeah, I I really do hope that they that Apple do have a smaller phone. I'm just intrigued to see where it goes in the lineup. I can't imagine four iPhones for sale, new ones. That seems like too much to me. I mean, maybe they uh, they position it as kind of how the SE was, right? When the SE came along, the case design had already changed. It was sort of a remix of what was there before. You know, there was a, there was a story like a, a year ago. I think Steve Trout Smith was involved in it. He probably was. Where like there was evidence of an iPhone 7 style phone but had a new internal part number. Mm-hmm. And that would make sense to me. You know, after the eight cycles out, out of the end, you know, at the bottom of the line, keep that form factor around and give it, you know, a new CPU every couple of years and just keep that 4.7 inch phone as it is. Now, eventually they want to move off Touch ID and go Face ID only. But I don't think that that has to happen anytime super soon. And that that may give people, you know, an option if they don't want the, you know, the 10R or the the 10S. And so maybe it's not like a new phone. It's just sort of a remix like last time. I don't know. I mean, it's not what Quo's saying. Like Quo says it's a... Yeah, but what... I mean, come on. What what does that guy know? Okay. He knows knows everything. (laughs) Everything. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's It's a very interesting thing to think about like to mm-hmm. go with small i mean again it's not that much smaller but it is smaller right you're going from 5.8 to 5.4 inches right 
Well, I think it's the size, but if they were to keep it in the seven form factor, and it were, you and I are talking about different future phones now, right? But but part of the conversation of someone not wanting to buy a new phone is they're familiar with their current phone. They're familiar with the home, with the home button. They're familiar with Touch ID, and they, they feel intimidated or they just don't want to, to deal or maybe they don't like Face ID. And so there's also that angle to this of, mm. hey, you, you know, if you still like this stuff, we're going to let it hang on for a little bit longer. I don't know if that's enough to justify this particular like imaginary phone's existence. But in talking to people who are looking at like going from a from a 6S to a 10R, that's a big jump in terms of how the phone just actually works. And some people don't want to make that jump yet. You know, I, I I had this in my own household. My wife had an iPhone SE for a long time, and it was just falling apart. And she particularly wanted a better camera. And I gave her my iPhone 10, and she basically handed it back to me and said, I, I'd like an 8. Because <laughs> she wanted the home button. She wanted that user experience. And I think there are a lot of people who are in that boat, too. Yeah, I, I, I really just, when I look at this rumor and I think about how, like, it's 2020, that smaller phone is going to look like an iPhone 10. It's going to have Face ID. It's going to be all that stuff. And Yeah, I think I think it probably should be, but I just do think that there are people who will be disappointed. Yeah, but they will have been disappointed in 2019 as well. Mm-hmm. So, because, like, I can't imagine Apple creating a, a new iPhone that doesn't have all this technology in it now just where they are right now and it's one of those things that like people are gonna have to either get used to it or move to android like that's <laughs> kind of that but that's kind of where it is right like i can't imagine them being like ah we just kept we just made a new iphone 7 like I, it just seems like it's too late for that now um when really they could they could try and do something to push the product in different ways Mm-hmm. maybe a smaller phone might make it cheaper. You know, they might have like a cheaper starting price, which is like another thing they probably want to do, right? Yeah, I mean, they could have it as sort of like a 10R style deal, right? Like mm-hmm. One fewer cameras and slightly different case design. Like I think there's like, that would follow in, in their current sort of system of thinking about the iPhone line. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we'll, uh, we'll continue to talk about new iPhones because the secret is there's always new iPhones coming. It's a topic that's the one thing you can count on. You can set your watch to new iPhones. Mm-hmm. Every September something. You'll be mm-hmm. within a couple of weeks on your watch. I mean, that's but, close you know, enough. That's what you need, really. Speaking of things that uh, come around every year, the public betas are here. Apple has said July. It's June. Their watch is just set to every couple of weeks. So you're in mm-hmm. the time frame. And uh, I was a little surprised that it was this early. Uh especially because they seem to be the same builds are very close to developer beta 2, which is a little little rough around the edges for some people. But nevertheless, they're here. People are getting their hands on them. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, Mike, you, you seem – I know in iMessage you've been, you've been very worked up about iPadOS. Have you made the plunge? No. I was going to do it. So, like, the public beta came out, and I was like, all right, okay. And now it's now it's too much. I was still going to go for the developer beta, but I was like, public beta's out, I'm going to do it. Uh, and then I was humming and ahhing on it, and I was talking to you guys in, in iMessage, and, and Stephen was like, oh, you should just do it. And I was deciding what iPad. And then before I did it, I just spent, like, 10 minutes on Twitter, and everybody that I know was, like, urging the rest of the world, please not to touch them. So <laughs> I haven't done it. Yeah, probably a good idea. Um, you think so? I mean, I know you are having, and I heard this last time, and I know we're going to talk about it again today, you are having a particularly difficult time yeah. 
which may be unique to you or may have been a problem from beta one or like whatever, but you are having a, a particularly bad time. But it seems like just in general, uh, there is a level of unreliability that you would expect from a, a beta typically. I have in the past waited for beta three and maybe I'll, yeah. and I think right now I'm just going to wait to see what beta three is like. Um, I'm getting ready to go away again and I really don't want to be traveling with a super buggy iPad. Um, so I, I've, I've held off. I'm, I'm holding off still, but I really, I want to use iPad OS so badly. But I'm holding off. Yeah, I think waiting for beta three is probably a good idea. Um, these are the worst um, first two betas that I've seen in a few years, um, and maybe we got you know, which is not again like, and I think it's always worth mentioning like when we when you mention that that is not a criticism particularly right like it it could be and sometimes should be bad right like it's in development. I don't think that it's it's necessarily a. And you could correct me if I'm wrong, but like I, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's a criticism of iOS 13 in its current state, right? Like it's expected to be a bit broken. It's not a criticism, but it it is surprising because, I mean, let's face it, there's a responsibility for Apple to make sure that these betas are at least somewhat stable. Because yes, it's a developer beta. But, I mean, you know that all kinds of people are going to install it anyway. And the bigger Apple gets and the more people use iPhones and iPads, you know, there's going to be lots and lots of attention. Well, I guess that's the interesting point, isn't it, really? Because you're using developer beta 2 and having lots of problems, as are many other people. And the public beta is apparently developer beta 2 exactly. in some form. And so, like, if that is the case, then, then I mean, because I understand what you're saying, but I feel like the fact that the public beta exists kind of excuses them a little from needing to worry about that for the developer beta, right? Because they have, like, plausible deniability. Like, there's a public beta, you shouldn't be touching the developer beta. But if the developer beta is... Well, it's based on that, so... Exactly. And if the public beta is bad, then, yeah, it, it does make it a bit trickier, especially when Apple actually do go to some lengths to talk about it like it got in the keynote it was like the public bay is coming in july woo right like it's you know they are they are going some way to promote that system now in ways that they didn't before and probably because there is great benefit to them right like in getting huge um adoption of a of a beta you'll find out a lot of what's broken but it depends on how badly it breaks things i suppose mm-hmm. as to whether that's a good thing or not yeah, um, I really don't understand why it was necessary to put out the public beta for iOS now. Like, it's not like they're they're being forced or they made some. They actually said July. So what was yeah, the rush? Yeah, I can't rush? work it out. Yeah, yeah, I can't work it out. Like, I, I was talking about this on on upgrade on Monday, and someone in the chat room said that like, you know, any more time is more time to collect data, which is a sure. good point. But but they were targeting July, so there must have been a reason for that. Unless, like, they are intentionally... Maybe that upgrade listener has a good point. Maybe they want to intentionally test some major bugs that they have. They want to see what the data that they get at scale is like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that's a plausible explanation. But uh, um, I would personally advise on waiting. If you still haven't put out... I mean, it's, it's Wednesday, so on Monday we're probably going to get beta 3. Wait for that. Uh, you know, wait a couple of hours, see what people are saying on Twitter, uh, see what people are saying on Reddit, 
and then maybe put it on your devices. Uh, beta 3, you know, uh, I know that, Mike, you've put it on in, in previous years. You waited until beta 3. It feels to me like mm-hmm. it's it's a good um, compromise between you want to get, you know, you want to get on the beta train early, but you also want to have some stability. And we're starting to see now some basic compatibility updates from developers on the App Store. We're going to, we're start, we're start seeing now, um, we're starting to see that the first test flight betas for iOS 13 and iPadOS 13 apps. So beta 3, you know, it's been a uh, almost a month. Uh, I think it's a good time, you know, if you absolutely want the beta, uh, but you you don't want the, the the bad bugs of beta one and two. Beta three is a good compromise because once you get to like three or four, you're about halfway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. which is a horrific thing to consider, right? When <laughs> don't even mention it. Don't even mention it, please. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, I forget about you. I was just thinking about like developers, but yeah, of course you as well. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. I, I I never said anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about your issues in a minute. I want to come back. We're going to get an update. It's the, the, the weekly update of Federico's various problems because I know it's horrific for you, but there is some kind of like macabre enjoyment to get from it. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, all, it's all for the show. You know, it's all content. Uh, but Stephen, mm-hmm. how, how you have iPadOS on your iPad now? Yeah, I put it on my iPad Pro yesterday or the mm-hmm. day before, and it's it's rough. I've got some apps that are crashing. It locks up sometimes. Notifications on the home screen are just sometimes they just don't load their content. I mean, it's a little rough, but I can see the promise. Uh, that one of the first things I did was load in a banking website I have to use pretty often that just doesn't work in mobile Safari, and it just works now like it's a real browser. It's fantastic, <laughs> and uh, and I can see how the multiple app instance stuff and the new multitasking is going to be a lot more powerful. I'm not sure how discoverable it all is, especially the multi-app and slide over business, but I I have spent very little time with that yet. So I'm reserving my judgment for more usage. But yeah, if if it's, uh, you know, like you, Mike, where you're doing your work on your iPad, I agree with Federico. I'd wait one more. Yeah. As I, again, it's like, I would be putting it on the device that I would take with me on a trip. I feel like that's probably unwise. Mm-hmm. Probably, uh, probably so. And as far as Catalina, I was running it on a 12-inch MacBook, and that was just a poor choice. That's that's not a fast machine. Mm-hmm. It's an original mm-hmm. 12-inch MacBook. That's not a fast machine in Mojave. And he put a beta OS on it, and it really was struggling. So uh, I moved it to an external SSD that I can boot my MacBook Pro from. And I have all my data on that. I've actually used Migration Assistant to get my stuff onto Catalina. And uh, it is, uh, it's a mess. It's its real buggy. And the battery life's real bad. It's not, not a good time on the Catalina beta. Uh, so we're going to hear about Federico's woes. But first, let me tell you about our second sponsor. That is Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea. You can get a unique domain name, use award-winning templates, and so much more. Maybe you want to create an online store or have a portfolio to show off your work. Maybe you're a writer and you want to start a blog. Where Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of that stuff. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades are needed, because you don't have to worry about that stuff since Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you have any questions or need any help. 
They allow you to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've talked in the past about how I've used Squarespace to help nonprofits and organizations build uh, websites, but one thing I haven't talked much about is just how customizable these themes are. So one of these products I worked on, they had a very particular uh, color scheme set up, you know, some designer they hired in the past and a logo and sort of a branding thing. And we picked a template we liked the structure of, but the colors were all wrong. Where the Squarespace editor makes it really easy to go in and change all of those colors. And you can even do custom CSS overrides to do uh, something that the, the editor may not let you get access to. It's really very powerful. There's a lot of times you're on a website you would never know with Squarespace because someone has gone in and customized it to their heart's content. It's really, really powerful. And you can check it out because Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. But you can start a trial today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com connected. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code connected to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com connected and the code connected to get 10% off your first purchase. I'd like to thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, Federico, lay it on us. How's it going? Let's start from the bad news. Um, it's been uh, it's been a week, really, for me. Uh, I've been um, filing lots of raiders and taking lots of uh, cisdiagnose files on my iPhone and the iPad um, that I've been unable to uh, basically take notes on my iPhone. Uh, I've been um, forgetting to save things because like one of, one of my, mm. one of the reasons that I love the notes app when it works is that I can, I can just save an idea that I have or a thought that I have and forget about it. When I'm on the phone, it'll show up yeah. on the iPad later. It works in the background. It doesn't create conflicted copies. Um, and so because I wasn't able to save notes from my phone, I would often think of something and then I wasn't able to save it. And that was lost forever in the maze of my brain. Um, so so you could create them, but they just don't go anywhere, right? Yeah, basically. Or actually, my main problem was that the iPhone app kept crashing every every few ah. minutes really um so it was basically impossible to use i was able to 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 salvage all of my uh notes on the ipad by by moving them to uh local storage so i've been using notes on the ipad uh, you, through the on my ipad location um which is fine it just means that i've only used my ipad for notes so I am sort of behind the schedule that I had in mind for the iOS 13 review, but I think I'll be fine because it's still June. It's it's not even, you know, in the past, I started writing like by July 10. So I'm slightly behind schedule, but it's a, it's a schedule that I had all in my mind because, you know, I tend to get anxious about all of this. So I'll be okay, mm -hmm. I think. Um more bad news, uh, my Memoji are gone forever. 
it seems. That is the real horror, the tragedy. That Memoji was perfect. And you know that. We put it together years ago when it came out. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was it was such a good representation of me. Uh, I'm really bummed about the fact that the Memoji died. Um, so bo- both of them Oof. are... are d- that's a... Yeah. That's quite yeah. a... That's quite a thing to yeah, think yeah, about. They are, they are lost forever in iCloud. Um, RIP Memoji. Um, so those will have to be recreated at some point. Unless Beta 3 brings them back from the dead. I don't know if that's even possible. That would be kind of wonderful, it would be wouldn't wonderful. it? Um, so I've basically spent the past week um, taking notes on the iPad without iCloud. Um, when I was on the phone, I wasn't able to take notes. So I actually started using Reminders to save ideas which is for like it's terrible it's slightly better now so reminders is syncing it's just notes oh, yeah. that isn't syncing yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. notes was the main problem um, everything else slowly came back uh, with beta 2 except for Memoji so f- whatever happened with Memoji those are gone should this I mean okay the answer is obviously no but should this be happening did anything change with notes like why is this happening i don't know uh i have no idea now to the better news um i i cannot get into the details but i'm just gonna say that um by filing radars and by using the feedback uh reporting tool the whoever you know engineers at apple really followed up multiple times on my report here um, and that was really, that was really like, it was a really good service, honestly, like um, to just be able to add comments with the feedback assistant and be able to add uh, links to the, to, the, to the bug reports, to the crash reports. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, I was really happy with the kind of support that, that I received uh, from, from with the, using the feedback assistant app. Um, and, and I was really impressed by like... Um, like I, I got the sense that they really uh, wanted to make sure that this would get fixed. And it appears just today that um, we may have a fix. I don't want to jinx it uh, because I feel like, you know, maybe something's going to break again. But it appears that my notes are now fine. And this is just as of 30 minutes ago, like before starting the show. Oh, so they've, they, you've synced them all now. I synced, synced them all, all again. I have the same number of like total notes between the iPhone and the iPad. I still haven't checked iCloud.com or my Mac, but it appears that there's parity between the two devices and iCloud is working and the notes app is not crashing anymore. Um, hmm. There's tons of logs in my analytics data. Uh, all of these files that the system just generates for whatever is going on. I don't know exactly what happened. My interpretation is that something horrible happened with the notes uh, area of my iCloud account. And by filing all these uh, reports through the feedback assistant, that got the attention of the necessary folks at Apple. So I'm really thankful for the feedback uh, assistant system and just be able to comment multiple times and add details. Um, So, you know... I'm guessing that it was a terrible bug that they discovered in my account. Um, it's it, probably why they were so helpful. 
right because yeah. like they've they've found something so bad they need to get to the bottom of it yeah so i guess i i and they, I, they just opened it up and it was all just a soup of base 64 just simming around in the server <laughs> that, that that is actually possible i still maintain that every problem you have on your iphone is related to base 64 in some way no matter what it is i just think that you the voodoo that you did with all of that stuff is just like you will feel the effects of that forever mm-hmm. i haven't used base 64 in months <laughs> i feel like 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 i feel like an addict now like i haven't used it in like three months <laughs> right it's, what yeah. is like the methadone version of base 64 uh it's like i don't know i don't know <laughs> watching shortcuts video videos on reddit <laughs> i don't know it's like watching other people do it okay <laughs> uh, but yeah so it was a terrible bug it got the the attention of the folks at apple through through my reports in the feedback assistant i i actually have a i've been using the feedback assistant app a lot it's on my home screen i've i've uh, you know i there's a lot of discussion as to like does it actually work fighting raiders? Uh, and there's a whole debate with our friends like Marco and Casey. Everybody has an opinion on this. Here's my opinion, uh, if you care about it. Um, no. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, there, there you go. That's the show. Goodbye. Arrivederci. Uh, done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe we could argue about, like, is it a dysfunctional organization if you can only file bugs? In within the span of three weeks in June and early July. I don't know. There, that's a discussion. But you know what? I'm going to do my job. I'm going to file my complaints. I'm going to file my suggestions. And I'm going to file my feedback. Then the ball is in Apple's court. And like they decide what they want to do with it. But at least I've done my part. It's like when you're a citizen, like if you're a good citizen of a, of a, of a country, you know, and you just ate like a slice of pizza and then you gotta you know you have some trash that you gotta get rid of you don't get rid of the trash in the middle of the street you f- you look for a trash can so like you're, you're following the law you're being a good citizen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i also want to follow the law here like i have complaints i have ideas i follow either then whatever happens happens i don't know but at least i've done my part it seems like the feedback assistant is a is a easier. It's much easier to use than before. Yes, and then radar at least anyway, or at least than it has been. So that that's a benefit. It's like I don't know, maybe it doesn't work, but I feel like I've done my part, and now I'm in a position to complain, to complain about it because I know that I've filed my reports and my ideas and my suggestions. Like I wouldn't like to complain if I didn't do my part. Now it's like can you it's like when you complain about who won the elections and you didn't even vote. You gotta shut up if you didn't vote. You you, you can't complain about who won. Right? <laughs> so um mm-hmm. it's just the way that I like to live my life, you know. I get to complain and I get to to to, to share my opinions when I'm in a position to share them. So Did you um, have you seen the the that David Letman Kanye West interview? No. Okay, because I watched that last night and that exact thing came up. It's a very interesting interview, but that you know he's Kanye's being Kanye, and he kind of mentions at one point about uh, he's never voted, and then David Letterman's just like, "You have no opinion." Then it's kind of incredible. Exactly. It's actually a really interesting interview. I recommend people watch yeah, it. I like I like Letterman. He's a good he's a good man. So uh, it's really fun. Before the the they like show him getting ready to go on stage, and he's like, "I'm so nervous." 
and then it goes <laughs> on stage. It's huh. it's like the whole thing is actually really good. There's yeah. some good stuff, and then there's some wild stuff, and there's some like infuriating stuff. But I recommend people watch it. There's like mm-hmm. a really random tangent, but it's because that exact thing came up, and I saw it last night, so I wondered if you'd seen it too. No, no, I didn't. Um, uh, but yeah, so basically, um, finding all these crash logs and cystagnose worked, I guess. Fingers crossed, maybe the problem has been fixed. Um, really, my main problem is not com- like complaining about beta bugs. That is mm-hmm. fine. That is fine. It's really that I'm the kind of person that, even though. I could have used some alternatives, like, for example, using local storage instead of iCloud or using some third-party note-taking app. My main problem is my brain in the sense that just knowing that something isn't working makes me go insane. Like, um, knowing that some part of iCloud is not working fine for me bothers me like at a physical level that you well, have I mean, no I would idea. Just be- constantly concerned about what the other part is that is obviously broken yes i've I've spent the past week being constantly concerned about oh am i gonna lose my reminders am i gonna lose my mail am i gonna lose my safari bookmarks like that is no way to live and so Mm -hmm. just knowing that some part of my account was not behaving correctly such huge stress it's it was not about notes necessarily right it was not about the that was just a, a, a symptom. Like the thought of having this invisible problem that I was unable to fix myself. That was, that's what has been driving me a little crazy over the past week. But again, fingers crossed, it's been, it's been fixed probably. So I can go back to live my life and take notes and, and actually start working on a mind map for the review. What a wild thing to have happened. Yeah, it was really bad. It was really, really bad. Um yeah, and and it's funny when we, every time I open these crash logs, there's like all this <laughs> text that makes no sense to me, like private frameworks, dot dlib, whatever, whatever, all these codes for problems like cra- zero zero xb, like what, what is this? It's funny because it's like it means nothing to you, but somebody opened it and they're like. Oh no! <laughs> somebody's like, uh huh, yeah, I know, I know these words, I know what no, it means. No, no, I mean it's not like I mean, but like somebody's opened it and like it's their worst nightmare. Yeah, probably. like all of the codes that they never want to see, they're all there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, everything's broken. Uh, can you tell me about um, parameters and shortcuts? Uh, what do you want to know? You tweeted about this uh, that you'd had a third-party application that had implemented them. So I would love like a just a very quick refresher and something that is exciting to you. Like why you think it's exciting? What kind of things you think you might see from it? So I think it's basically the kind of shortcuts API that we've been discussing for the past really the past few years since it was workflow, and now it's been made available to developers. Um, through parameters in in the short in the Siri shortcuts API, and uh, I have a beta, a single beta so far of JSON, um, not Snell, uh, but it's a it's a utility by Simon Stovering. He makes uh, he also makes Scriptable, the JavaScript app for iOS, and JSON uh, it allows you to uh, preview and browse uh, .json files. Uh, JSON content on your iOS devices. And he just released uh, a beta. There's probably a link to the test flight on Twitter somewhere. Um, And he's taking advantage of the new shortcuts um, 
parameters API to let you do some really beautiful things in with with the with JSON. So effectively, you can now. Um, install quote unquote install you can find the json shortcut in the shortcuts app when you when you search for the name of the app and just like before you will find a suggestion for a series shortcut for a third party app just like iOS 12 what is different is that this short this shortcut is customizable. It's got fields, it's got parameters that you can customize. Some of them can uh, accept plain text. Others are like switches, like toggles that you can flip on and off. It's like, it's exactly what we were arguing last year that we wanted to have like visual actions for third-party apps that could be customizable, but without having them be based on URL schemes next callback url and then the, the other benefit being that like you can set everything up in shortcuts yes right and can in, make instead of doing it before like right uh, and and have it be, like in ios 12 if you wanted to customize a shortcut you needed to do in the in the in the original app that offered the shortcut to the system and it was like it was not dynamic you, you could only configure the shortcut beforehand and if you wanted to have some dynamic input uh, for example you look at apps like james thompson and his shortcuts for pcalc he used the system clipboard as a as a sort of a right. workaround it was all very complicated basically it was all very yeah. hacky and and mm-hmm. not stable enough but this means that now you can have shortcuts for third-party apps in your custom shortcuts, in your in the main shortcuts app, and you can actually customize the data that they work with. Or my, the example that I shared on Twitter was, I I have a shortcut that works with the Trello API. Uh, so my shortcut gets some JSON content from Trello and passes that content to the JSON app via a native Siri shortcut that I configured and customized inside the shortcuts app. Uh, this is based on can parameters. This happen in the background. Yes, it can. It so can. I could have a third-party application mm-hmm. fetch data from within the third-party application and pass it to another chain in the shortcut without anything ever Absolutely. needing to happen. In fact, I, I did not tweet this, but just last night Simon posted a second build of the beta uh, that allows you to um, retrieve from the shortcuts app the JSON text of a document that you keep in the document library of the JSON app. So okay. right from shortcuts, you can say, um, install this um, Siri shortcut for JSON. Um, and there's a file name field, a file name parameter. You go in there, you type in the name of the file that you want to fetch, and it totally in the background, without having to open JSON and switch back to shortcuts, it yep. fetches the, that document fetches the text and that text is now a variable that you can use in another action okay that's incredible yeah yeah so imagine this for task managers imagine this for document-based apps you will be able to create to-dos you will be able to i don't know edit images you will be you will be able to make it work in the background or show you a ui or switch to that app you will be able to retrieve documents or maybe specific um, metadata about a document, like mm-hmm. give me the file name or the creation. Like you can do whatever you want because everything is customizable. Developers just need to build these shortcuts. You cannot build them yourself, of course. The developer has to support the technology, but you can customize the parameters 
you can put in whatever you want. You can put in some plain text or you can use variables. Like it's all up to you. And it's amazing. It's it's exactly what I wanted, but uh, and it's now possible. Developers just need to adopt them. It'll be it'll be really really good. I'm more. I think I'm more excited for this, of course, than the multi-window at, at the moment. Like uh, I'm trying to imagine all the ways that I can rewrite my shortcuts um, by getting rid of X callback, by getting rid of multiple actions, and just replace them with a single series shortcut for a third-party app that has parameters and that lets me process data or fetch data without doing the all the hacks and the workarounds and the X callback dance that I used to do before. Uh, it's really, really good. And uh, yeah. yeah. yeah, I'm very excited about the possibility of being able to do stuff that doesn't require apps to be opened. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it does also feel like it would be, and it will be, pr- again, provided that this gets the developer support that it needs, uh, which I think... Could I mean like you know over? I mean I know that like shortcuts hasn't it's as of yet it's not been like an incredibly advanced um, system so far right but it has gotten a lot of support like I still see apps updating like major apps from big companies and they add shortcut support in some way right like it doesn't I know this is a different beast but at least it feels like we might see some of this stuff trickling out over a while. And when I say like, you know, the complexity thing, it's just like a, a lot of companies just add very basic support, but it's still mm-hmm. something. Um, but like I, I, this seems like obviously a much better system to be able to have multiple third party applications talking to each other. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. that's one of this. This what this would give is that world, which as of yet has not really been able to be you to to be able to be brought into effect right like as it stands right now it's like well you can do a bunch of things but it's just a bunch of applications talking to shortcuts and shortcuts talking back and that's the end of the conversation right between the two apps yeah but now it's like well i could use this third party app to give a piece of information to this third party app to give a piece of information to this third party app and that's like what we've always wanted from this system but has not been possible but now we are beginning the road to this future which is kind of incredible do, do you think this future ends in the death of x callback url like is this powerful enough to replace it you couldn't have a stronger sign that uh, and let me just quote here because i think i actually saved it uh while i was at a session at wwdc yeah. um well, thank, thankfully, your notes are working. So My notes are working. <laughs> so there you go. I'm browsing my notes, and it's not exploding. So Can um, you imagine if they just all started deleting now, like just live on the show? Why? Um, okay. Um, and I'm quoting here. Custom URL schemes are inherently insecure and can be abused by malicious developers. New uses of custom URL schemes are highly discouraged. That was said on stage? Yes, there was a recession. Um, mm-hmm. And so I believe that it's not going to happen, you know, in a week. It's not going to happen this year. It's probably not going to happen next year. But I think um, if, not, if not deprecated entirely, yeah. you know, I believe they're going to lock down the system more and more. Um, yeah. And I think just one last point that I wanted to add uh, about 
third-party apps communicating with each other. Um, the beautiful part of all of this uh, for me is the fact that you're in the middle of it, there's still shortcuts and there's still the content graph engine. So the technology that Ari and Karad and, and their team came up with years ago in 2013 and early 2014, that is still the glue. And of course, it's been enhanced and, and, and improved and revised. But at a fundamental level, that idea of shortcuts, having the content graph engine and taking care of like transformations of data, like text can become a PDF, can become an image, a link can become, you know, something else. That technology is still at the core of all of this. And to you, the user, it's exposed in a visual programming environment where you drag and drop actions and you have these variables. And now you have the new editor, of course, but it, there's, there's, a, there's a beauty in the fact that couple of kids came up with this idea years ago and of course it's been much improved but at the very essence of it is still the technology that powers this amazing communication between apps in ios 13 it's kind of funny really like this is this has been this these this information has been relatively low-key so far this year like like I know that there obviously people like you and david and rosemary like on automators talking about it but like it wasn't as part of the larger presentation, but like this is what we were hoping last year was going to be, mm-hmm. right? It was yeah. like this level of control, and it feels like that maybe this year is when it happens. But it's been kind of it's it's a it's a bit more under the radar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was not in the keynote. It was probably just mentioned at the State of the Union. Um, I'm 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 just super excited. I have 160 shortcuts that I got to update. Um I, I also I should mention Sounds like a wild weekend. Yeah, I should mention <laughs> that as I was hoping would be the case. Uh I think I said on the show that all of my shortcuts broke, but that I was confident that the data was still hiding in there. Yep. It, that was indeed the case because beta 2 basically restored all of most hmm. of uh, of the variables that were hiding they were still in there they were just not exposed correctly in beta 1 but right. with beta 2 they came back so there was some like translation that yes. was done incorrectly yeah. basically yeah but the but the all the variables it, and didn't, all the data, it didn't remove anything it no. just couldn't it couldn't yeah. read what was written properly yes yes okay. so basically all of my shortcuts are working again i just need they are in a working state and i guess maybe uh next week we're going to talk about some of the changes to shortcuts and sharing that are going on in in uh in this version of the app but um I just want to update them because they're not so elegant anymore uh <laughs> there's a you know i want to I have the option of removing a lot of actions and the fewer actions you have in a shortcut, the better it is. So they are working. They're just not elegant. So I want to make them a little nicer. Uh, so I'm going to update them anyway. Man, I can't wait to see what might come of all this stuff. It's very yeah. exciting. Yeah. 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 I guess I got to start sharing some shortcuts, uh, at least on Club Mac stories. Um, uh, there's a there's a few basic things that I would like to share. I'm gonna save uh, I'm gonna save some of them, of course, for the review. Probably gonna have a section with short, with shortcuts examples like last year. Probably Pro- gonna yeah. I'm sure. Pro- Probably I might talk about shortcuts in the review. <laughs> Maybe, Who knows? We'll see. I guess if I really have to. I mean, geez, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see character for you, but you know, mm-hmm. I guess if you're gonna do it. <laughs> 
All right, we're going to wrap up today talking about Catalyst apps. But first, let me tell you about our final sponsor, and that is Pingdom. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? You wouldn't know if customers couldn't click that Buy Now button or access your content. You could stumble across the problem by luck or my personal nightmare, be told about it on Twitter, but that's not good. Like You need a system to monitor your website. You need something to tell you that everything is running smoothly and more importantly, when it's not. You need Pingdom. Pingdom will let you know the moment your site goes down and whatever way is best for you. And they're smart. They'll get the information needed to solve the issue sent to whoever needs it, whether that's a single person or your whole team. They're dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable using more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. All Pingdom needs is your URL and they take care of the rest. So don't risk being the last to know about something on your site being broken. Start monitoring your website today. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code CONNECTED at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. I have some very important breaking news. Okay. Apple have expanded uh, business chat to Shopify stores. You can find the show notes at relay.fm slash connected slash 249. Um, I'm, you you know, I'm kind of making a joke because of, shop, uh, because of business chat, but that is actually pretty cool because that's a lot yes. of stores, yes, right? I know, so I know, I know. Shopify yeah. is now supported in business chat, so that will make it a lot more useful to a lot of small companies. But I have not used it yet. I need to find a... Is it even outside of the U.S.? I have no idea. I don't even know because I've, I've never been in... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. I, I used it in Italy. I kind of did work. But yeah, this is great. I mean, I, I've noticed Shopify storefronts on a lot of things that I've bought online recently. So yeah, uh, especially like um, keyboards. Like every time I buy a keyboard, it's, it's, it's uh, from a Shopify store. Um, yeah, so this is this is very nice. So that is a it's a cool thing to to have at least as as a thing. I'm I'm I'm, expl- I'm pleased that they did that. I didn't uh, initially misread the headline and thought it said Spotify, and I was very confused. Mm. <laughs> it's like why Apple wouldn't let Spotify no. business chat with people? That, not no unless way. they charged them seventy percent. Over on Mac Stories this week and on episode one seventeen of App Stories. Federico, you and John talked about Catalyst apps, and there's been a lot of uh, grumbling yeah. in parts of the community about Catalyst, which we can get into. <laughs> and about John, <laughs> uh, some some people have some people have called it a sweet solution, like the building web apps for the iPhone. Mm. Remember that? That was no fun. Mm. Uh, I disagree with all of that, and we can get into that. But I would definitely point people to that article. The App Stories episode was excellent, Thank and. You. Um, so let's let's get into this a little bit. Federico, how do you feel about Catalyst apps? So the the main thesis of the story, which I I fully agree with, um, John has been thinking about this um, this article for for uh, for a long time. Is we and by we I mean at Max Stories, uh, we don't think that Catalyst is just about uh, bringing toy apps. 
uh, or like small utilities and games and video streaming apps to the Mac. We think it's more than that. We think it can be more than that. Um, and the our main argument uh, that John really put well in the story is if you if you use the iPad to get work done, to do more than just browsing Netflix and, and YouTube, you know that there, there absolutely are apps that could be useful to have on the Mac that would make for excellent Mac apps, provided that the developers put in the work to optimize them for the macOS platform. And to think that iPad doesn't the iPad does not have any productivity apps to offer to the Mac that just feels short-sighted and a little out of touch with reality. That is my personal opinion. Uh, it's not what John wrote, but it's what I believe. There are John actually came up with a list. Uh, he didn't share the full list in the article, but he has like six, 60 apps that are not like <laughs> entertainment or toy related uh, that would make for excellent Mac versions. Maybe you'll get to share this full list on uh, somewhere in the newsletter. I don't know. But he mentioned a few examples in the story. Uh, you got things like Working Copy. You got things like uh, the Apollo Reddit client or <laughs> Shortcuts, of course. All of these uh, LumaFusion, Ferrite, all of these iPad first and sometimes iPad only productivity apps that exist on iOS People are using them. See, it's not just me and John Voorhees, these two special snowflakes using the iPad as a computer. You open Reddit, you go to reddit.com slash r slash iPad, you will find thousands of people using the iPad as a computer, getting work done, getting video editing done, professional photo editing done. These people exist in the world, on planet Earth. It's a thing, whether you like it or not. And so... To think that Catalyst is just about, oh yeah, make YouTube available on the Mac and Netflix available on the Mac and a bunch of games for those kids. That just feels a little condescending, personally speaking, and just untrue. <laughs> so uh, that was the point of the story, to illustrate how there's more than... Um, nothing wrong with games and entertainment, of course. Nothing wrong with that. But there's more to it. And maybe... Apple could have done a better job at, at making this argument at WWDC. Maybe fully agree with the fact that Apple should have done a better job with their Catalyst apps. They're not setting a high bar, you know, with their examples. Uh, I agree with that. And look at podcasts, for example, coming in Catalina. They're doing a bunch of custom work to make that as decent as it is right now. Um, fully agree with that sentiment. But from a third-party developer perspective, there's a lot more to Catalyst than just, you know, oh, yeah, I can now watch Netflix on my Mac. That's the argument of the story. Why don't you tell me how you really feel? Like, I feel like you're holding back. If you could just... <laughs> if you could just, just give me, like, a little bit more, it would be great. Uh, I think, really, the biggest problem here is, and I put problem in inverted commas, was the introduction of SwiftUI. It was the right time to do it because it's an important technology for a bunch of different reasons, but it put an expiry date, potentially, on Catalyst in a lot of people's minds. Like, unfortunately, the technology feels like... So the, the idea of the sweet solution is actually kind of an interesting one, like comparing it to that. 
because I mean, if you if you remove the fact that the sweet that the sweet solution was a was bad, right? It was a bad idea. Where Catalyst doesn't seem to be like a bad idea, or the technology isn't bad, right? It will actually work, and it will give you some of what you want. But th- it was the idea of like this. Catalyst is clearly a stopgap, or like a point in the roadmap to the future, with the future being much more involved, right? Like if Swift UI really works. That seems to be a much more complete solution for people, right? But before you can get there, there's a lot of work. And in the meantime, Catalyst exists. And this is very clearly the path, right? Like Apple now have multiple technologies to put applications in multiple places in platforms that don't currently allow for that. Right, like there's no way currently to take your iOS app and put it on the Mac, but Apple is going to give two technologies which will enable that in different ways. Like, it is very clear what the future is at this point. And and importantly, Catalyst is a way to do that today, now, now, this this fall. Where I don't think there's going to be many developers who are totally rewritten for Swift UI on day one. There may be a few, but that is a longer term, bigger project. Most definitely. What Catalyst does is it unlocks the bajillion iOS apps that are on the App Store. It it unlocks those for the Mac in the here and now. Swift UI is, I fully believe, a like a decade long thing. Is it's it can't do everything that you need to do now. It's extremely resource resource intensive, and it only supports the newest OSs. So if you are like underscore and you have a bunch of people on old devices, you can't actually move to it yeah it's like it's like swift in general right like swift was announced a long time ago and yeah five years it's being used by a lot of people but not the masses it's not being and i think everybody's resigned to the fact that ultimately they will be using it but it's just not yet even mark is learning it hmm. so rest in peace what exactly are we but resting that, in peace like what, i don't know like that needs to be clarified Obje- objective c <laughs> okay <Hey-o>. okay <laughs> i don't know uh so the the problem i have with the debate that's going on is People look at Swift UI as like a okay, maybe they agree with me that it's a, you know, six, eight, ten year thing. And at some point, you know, Apple will require all new apps to be in Swift UI. But that doesn't make Catalyst less important. You know, there was there was the joke and and uh, maybe it wasn't a joke, you know, like, oh well, Catalyst was end of life in the same keynote it was announced in. I just don't see that being the case because Catalyst is going to be here for a long time. And Catalyst gives developers an opportunity to make, have their apps make more money. And if they make more money, maybe they'll be more likely to invest in rewriting in Swift UI, right? It, it, Catalyst is a, is a blessing to those developers for the next several years, maybe the next 10 years, hopefully giving them the flexibility and latitude to move to this new future paradigm. So, say that Catalyst didn't exist and Apple just announced Swift UI. Uh, a couple weeks ago, no doubt people would be excited about it. No doubt, you know, it would be as groundbreaking and as kind of uh, paradigm shifting as it seems to be. But it would, but in the same thing, it's like, oh well, that's off in the future. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I can't. What can it, it can't do anything for me for the next couple of years? And kind of like Swift, by the time it's good enough, and by the time your user base is on OSs that can support it, some of the newness has worn off, and some of the excitement has worn off. And what Catalyst does is it gives developers a, a, a bridge to that future and it gives the Mac and the iPad more stable footing until that future 
arrives. No doubt if Apple could have waved a magic wand and say, okay, any Swift app, you can run anywhere, you know, no catalyst needed, it just works. That would that would have been ideal, but that's not the, the world that they're in. They needed something to get them there. And while Swift UI is exciting, and I genuinely think it is, it's not here today for most people. And so you you have to have something to, to get to that future. And I, I do want to talk about the carbon and cocoa thing in a minute, but uh, I'm curious what y'all think about that. Like, do you, am I thinking about that in a way that makes sense to the two of you? Yeah. But I, I just think that like the introduction of Catalyst to the world has been met with too many stumbling blocks, which puts it at risk of maybe not getting to where it could or should be, right? So like hmm. they are, it was overshined at the keynote when it was actually introduced to the world. Apple have not done the best possible job at uh, showing off what it can do, right? So people have like a bad yeah. taste in their mouth about it because there is one app that's pretty decent, which is built now. And then there's a bunch of kind of non-updated apps from before, which mm-hmm. have a lot of weirdness in them. A lot of the conversation that is occurring around the time of year when people should be thinking about whether they want to actually make an app for this thing is pretty negative because of a lot of this stuff. And nobody can try a Catalyst app made by a third-party developer yet because nobody's finished him, right? right? They're, they're not done. So like, we can't even sit here now and be like, oh, but we tried this one and it's actually amazing and works just how you want sure. because nobody's made it. So like, my concern is that the general conversation is trending towards negative because of these like confluence of bad events. Well, it's it, that's Apple's to a degree. That's Apple's own secrecy working against them. So yes. take something like the the new Reminders app, which is an AppKit app on Catalina. Had Catalyst been ready a year ago when that Reminders work started, or had the and I, I'm making some assumptions here, but had the Reminders team been brought in to the Catalyst program and said, "Hey, we know you're re- working Reminders." We'd love for it to be, you know, the flagship app using this technology. Maybe we could have had a Catalyst Reminders app on uh, macOS 10.15, but yeah. we don't because either it wasn't ready internally or they didn't want to tell anybody, probably honestly both. And so you run into that at Apple sometimes. Okay, there's this new thing. Oh, we're, who's, who's using it internally? Well, no one because no one knew about it. That was actually came out a little bit in Jason's interview with the Swift UI guys on Upgrade a couple of weeks ago. And so I would expect that... Whatever's after macOS Catalina, there will be. And I had this in a predictions or somewhere that they would have something like messages mm-hmm. or mail be a Catalyst app. I think it's too early for that. I agree with you. I wish that they had like a really shiny example. I wish it had been reminders. I think that would have really gotten people's attention, but they're just not there yet. And so this first year, I don't know if it's going to be the flood of iPad apps on the Mac that I maybe thought it was going to be because. It, it, it does seem like it's more work than just checking a box. And there's so much iOS stuff to do first. Like a lot of developers are saying, well, I got to be ready for iOS 13. And once that's all done, I'll look at the Mac version. So it may be a slower start, but I, I don't know how much of that is the fault of the negativity around it versus just how the how the chips ended up landing. Right. But then it's like a cause and effect type situation right which is that that's kind of what i'm getting to we're deep on the chicken and egg then if there's none this year well what's the reason and then what happens like i i still am optimistic that if there is an opportunity for for a company to make money then they should look at that seriously Mm -hmm. and 
that you know like if if a developer feels like this is a good option for them then they will do it irrespective of of what the community is saying right mm-hmm. like because you would be silly not to to give it a go but it feels like it might it might start slowly but i i remain optimistic because it seems like a wise business decision to at least try it Oh yeah, I think you're right about that. And and I hope that people can will will still put the effort into giving it a go because as as a an iPad first user, I still remain very excited about the opportunity to have some applications, you know, some of the ones like what Federico mm-hmm. and John have mentioned, but you know like for me apps like Timery and Calzones, which are like applications that I use every day and would be fantastic on on the Mac because they the counterparts to them don't work very well. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see applications like that. And yeah, they maybe are smaller applications. They maybe are like things that I'm not spending 600 hours a day in, but like I check in and out of, but like, what's a calendar? Like, that's what I do with calendars, but you don't call calendars utility apps. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so like I would like to see sure. a lot of that type of stuff appearing. Um, but it's just a case of, of waiting and seeing for, for, for how it goes. I get the impression there's some of the, oh, the iPad isn't for real work bleeding into this conversation yes. from other people. Yes. I find that frustrating. Like just because the iPad's not for your work doesn't mean that there's not good apps that could come over. It's difficult I mean, I think, when I you're, think, when, when, I think it's just, it's difficult when your identity and way of life is challenged. And yes. that's what this does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the people that are saying, oh, the Mac doesn't need help from the iPad, like you're just wrong. You're just, you're just wrong about that because. The Mac is not Apple's most important platform. It's not even Apple's second most important platform. I, I choose to see all of this as like Apple wouldn't be doing Catalyst if it thought the Mac was dying. Because like, why would you spend the I'm sure vast amount of resources to make all of this work? Why would you make Swift UI work on Mac OS if you didn't think Mac OS was going to be around? So like, I don't think it's a matter of oh the the Mac is uh, dying and like this is Apple says this is the only lifeboat and I just don't believe it. Like I just think a lot of that is has got some flawed logic in it. And you know the idea that the iPad is a toy and like we don't need those you know those silly little apps on our big important computers. Like just you're you're missing the bigger picture. And if if those types of Mac users out there and there there are plenty of them, it's like if you look at the the ecosystem the Mac exists in. There are still really good Mac apps out there. And yes, there are people still making independent, like good app kit apps, but you can name them on one hand. And that's even the iPad is a vastly larger ecosystem. Why, if, if you really love this platform, why wouldn't you want access to those applications? I, I just, it, it, it really confuses me, that point of view. Mm-hmm. Anyways, before we wrap this up, I did want to talk about carbon cool. for a second. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is one of those situations where, like, you're concerned you're alienating Mac users and they won't believe you to be a, a, a an authority anymore. So you have to talk about some like ancient technology. That's right. Okay. You're the TVOS guy. <laughs> the carbon I'm talk guy. about carbon. Like, I have a dog cow tattoo. What more cred do I need? But if you're no, really, I just wanted to explain this because this argument has included like, oh, it's like carbon or like cocoa, and I'm not sure everyone. Most of our listeners weren't around for that. And even if they were, like, it's a complicated topic. So I just kind of wanted to explain it. So as people have these debates online, 
you know what this is about because there are some parallels between now and the carbon deal, but it's not a perfect analogy. And I think people who say it is, they're missing some points. So anyways, just I promise I'll make this brief as Federico and Mike slowly back away from their microphones. But when OS X came about uh, as obviously a a new platform because it was powered by uh, Next technology, so not the classic Mac OS. And uh, the the initial plan was to have sort of two environments in this new operating system. It was called Rhapsody that was the code name. Rhapsody was released as Mac OS X Server 1.0. Those details aren't important. But the plan for a while was you can write new apps that work on the next technologies. That was AppKit. But if you have a classic Mac OS app, so the whole library – of Macintosh software to this point, that was going to have to run in this emulated environment. If you want the new features like protected memory and, and preemptive multitasking, the things that made this new operating system good and secure, if you want those things, uh, you got to rewrite your app. And so that's kind of like, like today, if Apple was saying, if you want to be on iOS 13, you have to rewrite in Swift UI. People would freak out because you're, you are requiring a ton of work, and the payoff is not super obvious. Uh, so that's where Apple was for a long time. Those were called Yellow Box and Blue Box, by the way. The, the new was Yellow Box, the old was Blue Box. So I have a new shiny app run in AppKit, or I have my old busted classic macOS app running in an emulator in a separate, like totally separate environment. Obviously, that wasn't going to work, because why would Adobe or Microsoft rewrite their app in this weird Objective-C language and put a bunch of money into it, into a company and a platform that literally was dying in the late 1990s. And basically everyone revolted. And so Apple shifted gears. There was a technology called Carbon, and Carbon was a bridge. So I could have my classic macOS app. I could tune it up. I could get rid of some really old APIs and clean it up a little bit. But then magically it would come come into, into its own on macOS 10 because Carbon was native to Mac OS 10. So people are comparing that to Catalyst. I have this app on this other platform. I do some stuff to it, but not a rewrite, just tidy it up and boom, it runs on the Mac o- the the new Mac OS 10. Carbon was in hindsight the most important software decision of this time frame because it, it allowed the library of Mac OS applications to run on Mac OS 10. Mac OS 10 really struggled in the early days with native apps. It would have been a hundred times worse without carbon. So you can see why people talk about this, right? Like, oh, well, carbon is like Catalyst and Cocoa is like SwiftUI. It's the future, but we don't have to get there yet. So I see why people are using that analogy. So that's kind of like the the heart of it. There are some differences though. So like we were just talking about how there's not like a, other than podcast, there's not a flagship Catalyst app on macOS Catalina. Well, to prove it's metal, Apple wrote Finder in carbon. Like they really were committed to it in a way that we haven't seen. Yeah, they did. They went big on that one. <laughs> you just go. I mean, yeah. Like you can't get any bigger on the Mac, and and then later they rewrote it in Cocoa to like, oh, and now it's time. So Finder was sort of this canary in the coal mine of like, this is the API set you should be paying attention to. So it is different, but fundamentally, why it's different is because AppKit is not doomed to extinction anytime soon. And the classic Mac OS was. Mm-hmm. The classic Mac, like the reason Apple was going out of business is because the classic Mac OS was so bad. And that 
and they had to move to something more modern. And that's just not where Apple is today. Apple is pitching a future where you can write an app and it runs on other platforms. The system they have now is clearly successful. Look how much money they have in the bank. Look how many apps are in the app stores. Look how many users they have. They're coming, they're, they're coming to this from a position of strength. We can complain about the Mac ecosystem or the iPad ecosystem for that matter, but they are still world stronger than the classic Mac OS was. So uh, I think comparing the two isn't quite right, but that's kind of what people are talking about. It's the closest comparison, though. It is. It totally is. And, and it really proves how good Apple is at this. And I think... I think that's missing in some of this conversation. Like, no company in technology is as good at transitions as Apple is. Full stop. Look at just look at Windows. They have tried. Microsoft has tried for years to to get rid of baggage, to get rid of historical cruft in Windows. They tried Windows RT, Windows on ARM, and they can't shed it because they, their customer base demands that they run the same app they wrote in 1996. And Apple, for better or for worse is willing to make those changes, but also willing to bring their users and developers along. It's never for free. There's always work to do. Look, carbonizing an app was work. Catalysting, catalyzing an app also work. But if you do that work, you're rewarded by new features and eventually you're sort of in this utopia of everything works everywhere. So that's kind of wanted to fill that out for people because I think people are throwing those terms around and uh, I think it's helpful to revisit that stuff on occasion. But... um, just, I mean, Carbon worked is like the, the end of this. Like Carbon made Mac OS X viable and it got deprecated in Mountain Lion. It's finally all gone this year because 32-bit stuff is going away. Carbon lasted like almost 20 years, right? Like it, it was there really over 20 years. I don't think Catalyst will be that long, but writing off Catalyst today is as short-sighted as writing off Carbon in 1998 or 1999. I'm like, oh, that's never going to work. You just got to write AppKit apps and go native on the next step stuff. That was short-sighted because it, it didn't value the the time in the middle of the transition. And I think that's what people are doing now. This is an important step forward for the Mac and for the iPad and writing it off because you don't understand it or the apps that you use are already on the Mac that's just looking at your angle of it. But you look at the big picture. This is important for Apple because it's important for them to unify their platforms. And this is just step one of 12 of that, just like Carbon was. Maybe it's better to say unifying the app platform. Yes. Or the app store platform than the platform itself. Yes. Uh, they are not moving. Uh, I mean, they had that big slide, right? Saying we're not combining macOS and, and iOS. Yeah. Com- combining... They didn't say yet, but the yet was hanging there. Like, I don't care what anyone says. It's a yet. It's not a never. But by but to a degree, if you combine the app platform, it, the question is sort of moot. Right, but like at a certain point, you've got to assume that like the Mac just gets smaller and smaller and smaller as we go into the future. And then how much do you... Uh-oh, I shouldn't do... I should, probably shouldn't be having this conversation. Let's just pretend I never said that. And we'll just, we'll just move on. Yeah. Okay, we'll just end the show. We'll just walk away. If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about this week... Head over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 249. While you're there, you can get in touch. There's an email link in the sidebar. You can email us about uh, your favorite story from the carbon days. I will read those. It'll be great. If you uh, want to leave us feedback on Twitter, you can do that as well. Uh, you can find Mike there is iMike, I-M-Y, 
K-E. Mike, of course, is the host of a bunch of shows here at Relay FM. So go go check those out. You can find Federico on Twitter as Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And you can uh, follow his work at MacStories.net, where they're writing about Mac apps all of a sudden. It's a, it's a crazy world over there. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH, and I write 512pixels.net. I think our sponsors this week, they are KiwiCo, Squarespace, and Pingdom. Without them, the show would not be possible. And until next week, gentlemen, say goodbye. Cheerio. Adios.